Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Why was he the weeping prophet? Because in all of his ministry, he never had a conversion. Come on, think about that. Think about that. God called you to do something. Pastors, how would that feel? You just preach and preach and preach and preach, and the people never get it. No one changes. No life is ever changed. No one takes on a new pathway. No wonder that he was a, a weeping prophet because he saw the goodness of God. He saw the hand of God. He knew. And in this particular chapter, he's getting ready to pronounce judgment on Judah and, is, and Israel, Jerusalem. Not an easy thing. I thank God I'm not a prophet in the office of a prophet because those are, those are difficult things. I'm more into the uplifting and the upbuilding and the helping, but sometimes the word of the Lord has to come in a stern way, and it has to come to bring repentance. And if it doesn't bring repentance, if it doesn't change, if it doesn't change the hearts of the listener, then you're bound to the declarations of God of the judgment that follows. And so <clears throat> we're going to read the first to the twelfth verse. Those are the most positive ones out of this message. We'll leave, we'll leave the rest for you to look at later. But I'm reading out of the Amplified. My voice is really jumping around today. I don't know what the deal is. Thank you. <clears throat> so if I stop at any time, take a drink of water, just talk amongst yourself. <laughs> All right, here we go. Chapter 18, verse 1, the word <laughs> in the Amplified, it is emphasized. The word, up there it doesn't show it, but here in printed material, <clears throat> it says the word, the whole thing is capitalized. The word, and it stands out much larger than everything else. The word, God measures everything by his word. God places his word above his, thank you, above his name. God values his word greater than his name. He doesn't care that you know his name, but he cares that you know his word. I'm preaching and I ain't even got started. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This isn't just a word. This is the word. He's having an encounter with God. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. How many knows who the word is? For the word was with God and the word was God. Mm -hmm. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise. In other words, get up and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he was working at the wheel. And the vessel that he was making from clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. In the King James it says marred. So he made it over reworking it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Now, I don't know if you understand mercy or not, 
But that points to the mercy of God. That when he's working on something and working on a vessel and working on things, if it gets marred, if it gets spoiled, if it gets sideways, if it doesn't cooperate, he's able to make it again. I don't know about you, but I think I've had to be crushed and made over again about 20 or 30 times in my lifetime. I pray you're not as stubborn as I am. I pray that you just let God mold you and shape you and you don't kick against the will of God. But there's been a few times I know God has had to start over with me. I pray he doesn't have to do that with you. Verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, says the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one time I will suddenly speak concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if the people of that nation concerning which I have spoken turn from their evil, I will relent and reverse my decision concerning the evil that I thought to do to them. Now do you understand God is not plotting evil on people or nations. His desire is that we'll become pliable in his hands and reshaped into his image but sometimes we become a subject of our own device. And if we become a subject of our own device and our own will, we bring judgment upon ourselves. Can you say amen to that? At another time, I will suddenly speak concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build up and plant it. You see the heart of God? He doesn't want to tear something down. He wants to build it up. Verse 10. And if they do evil in my sight, obeying not my voice, then I, I will regret and reverse my decision concerning the good with which I said I would benefit them. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Now, anytime God speaks a word like that, it's to get your attention. It's to wake you up because God never gives a word like this that there's not an opportunity for repentance. That's why God has prophets because prophets come to warn you of coming judgments so that your heart can turn back to God. Mm -hmm. Behold, I am shaping evil against you and devise a plan against you. In other words, God sees an evil plan that's already out there hatched against the nation, and because they are turning their heart from God, they're about to fall into judgment. Return now each one from his evil way and reform your accustomed ways and make your individual actions good and right. But they will say that it is in vain. For we will walk after our own devices, and we will do each, we will each do as the stubbornness of his own evil heart dictates. Hmm. 
That's a heavy word on such a good morning. I was elated that the song Potter's Hand was in our worship set today because that is not something that, that Austin and I had communicated. He didn't know because I didn't know what the word was until about 6.30 this morning. And so we hadn't communicated. And yet he played that song, tells me there's one spirit and God had one message that he wanted to get into this house. He wants us pliable in his presence. Can you say amen to that? So I've got a few notes here. I'll try to do whatever God has me do here. Um, so stick with me. I'll try to make this as brief as I can, but I'm not going to short the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> so when a prophet prophesies, it is always concerning nations. Even the modern-day prophets, when they prophesy, true prophets, those who stand in the office of a prophet, prophesy concerning the nation and the people of that nation. So in this case, Jeremiah is prophesying. And when a prophet prophesies, he prophesies to nations and rarely to individuals. There are personal prophecies that happen. I do know that. I am aware of that. I know God does that, and God has done it to me. But someone who stands in the office of a prophet has a much bigger calling and a bigger declaration than for an individual. Within that prophetic utterance from that prophet, though, are things that an individual can grab a hold of and apply in their living. So when God warns a nation, he's not warning the institution of that nation. He's warning the people of that nation. And even more so, if we want to break it down to its lowest common denominator, he's warning the church. Oh, we're going to get in trouble. So often there's a, a personal application in a prophet's words because the nation is made up of individual people. And God has a plan, a desire, a design in mind for every nation and the individuals of that nation. Let me say that again. God has a plan, a desired design in mind for every nation and the individuals in that nation. But often people, like in this story, fold under the pressure of the potter's hands. Can you give me that picture that I'm looking for? Can we make that full screen? If it will. Often underneath the pressure of the potter's hands, the vessel will collapse. The vessel will become marred. The vessel will become uncompliant. <laughs> I had to call this morning. I didn't have any modeling clay, and this isn't modeling clay. I had to call Miss Trish and say, do the children's church have any kind of clay? And this isn't actually modeling clay. This is some other type of material. And I turned to, <laughs> I turned to Christian just before uh, service, handed this to him and said, make that look like a lump. 
and it was a little square. It was all nice and pretty. But now I've got your fingerprints. So make that look like a lump because this is what we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are wet dirt. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, mud ball. We are clay in the master's hands. But often, like the people in this story, we can't take the pressure of the master's hands because God has one design in mind and we have another. Often rebelling to the demand of the potter and his compliance. We won't comply because we have a design of our own in mind. We want God to shape us into something we want us to be, not necessarily what God wants us to be. Can you say amen? So we often choose our own design and we want to be shaped and fashioned after our own desires, our own wants, and our own will. And we often get angry when the potter smashes our plans. That table gives. That's kind of cool. We get angry because God wants to start all over and we're like, but God, I'm just becoming recognized in my gifting and my ability. And God says, but yeah, but I don't need that. God, look how fashionable I'm becoming. And God says, eh, I don't think so. And God wants to start over. Now listen, do you think America is in the shape that God intended? Huh? Are we even close to what the forefathers and founders had in mind. Doesn't it make you wonder how God has been patient so long? Come on, think about that. So here's the clay in the hands of the potter. That's some stiff stuff right there. That or I'm old. I don't know what it is. But here's the clay in the hands of the Father. The Father's eyes, this is not in my message, but it is in my message. The Father's eyes can see that. <laughs> this is kind of messed up, ain't it? It's kind of messed up, ain't it? The, the Father's eyes can see it almost like a brain. Father's eyes can see that. But he doesn't just see it in this condition. He sees it as it could be. A true artist can see what this vessel will be by the size and the shape of what he starts with. He knows that he's going to have to mold it, work with it, shape it, Shave off the excess to turn it into something usable. <laughs> but the clay has a will of its own. 
when we're speaking about humanity. All right, lump of clay. Make something. It's how futile it is for us to think we can make something out of our life without the master. I'm still clay. I have the potential to look like God. But without him, I cannot. It's okay. So go ahead, Clay. Go on. Show us your power. What can you do on your own? Build something. I don't know if you all can see over there or not. Build something. Make something of yourself. Go ahead. Go on. Make something of yourself. What grand design do you have, Clay? What are you going to do that makes you useful? So what lump of clay has the power on its own to even turn the potter's wheel? If you're on the potter's wheel, you certainly can't be down here to turn it. So would it be safe for me to say that without the Father we are powerless? And so is every nation of the world powerless unless we bow to our God. Powerless. Since a lump of clay can't even turn the potter's wheel, the inertia to spin circumstances in a direction that builds something beautiful out of something so lifeless and formless is absolutely futile. There's no inertia to make it work. There's no power to spin it. There's no power to raise it up. Clay has no form, no shape, no purpose without the potter. It's just a lump of matter that desires to blend into the soil and remain undisturbed. <laughs> Here's what the clay says. Oh, don't, don't put so much pressure on me. Oh, that hurts. Oh, I wish I really could work clay because I'd work something up and make a vessel for you. But when I'm done, you'll go, that looks worse than it did when you started, Pastor. But the clay, can you imagine working with humanity? Oh, don't do it that way. Oh, I'm getting sick. Oh, the wheel is turning too fast. Oh, I'm getting dizzy. Oh, I'm going to hurt. Can you imagine what God has to put up with? 
when all the clay has to do is say, go ahead, I feel your hands. Oh, God, I feel your hands. I know there's purpose in your touch. I know when you're through, I will be something magnificent. Go ahead. Go ahead. Turn me, spin me, do what you've got to do. Steve was turning me and spinning me the other day in the boat. <laughs> and like the clay, I began to hurl. <laughs> well, I didn't quite hurl, but I felt like I was going to hurl. And everybody else's fun had to end because pastor couldn't take the spinning. But that's how we are. We want the best. We want to be the best. We want to walk, talk, look, be popular. I know you want to be popular. I see all your little selfies. But here's the one cry from the clay when it folds in on itself as the potter is working it. Don't put so much demand on me. Too much. Too much, God. Too much pressure. Too much. Just as you're shaping, you're coming into something, and then it's like, oh, too much. That's the only way I can do it. I, I haven't got no clay here to do it with. And I wouldn't have skill to do it anyway. But you get the idea. Don't bend me in an uncomfortable position. Don't stretch me. Don't scrape excess off of my useless condition. Don't apply the heat of the kiln, the fire of affliction. Really, God, you would put me through all of this? But the vessel never sees themselves in the eye of the potter. We already think we're all that and a bag of chips. But we just a hunk of clay. And without the potter's skill without the master's touch we will never get to the desired end the vessel never realizes that the pain is bringing about their beauty that the pressure is shaping their destiny. The removal of the excess, unneeded, unnecessary debris in their life is all a part of the plan of the potter because he has a plan for shaping them for a greater purpose. Our nation has been a thing of beauty for centuries now. But now she's a vessel protesting the pressure of the potter, trying to reshape her own purpose 
and her own destiny. And I have it written in capital letters, bold and large across the bottom of my paper. What power does clay have in shaping its own destiny? We would have imploded a long time ago had the founding fathers did it man's way. But because the great experiment of our nation was what happens when a nation puts God first, we found out what happens when a nation puts God first. We were exalted from a struggling, fledgling little land into the greatest nation on the face of the earth. The one superpower that the world depended on because it was connected to the only superpower. And we have the nation right now is trying to reshape itself. For years, because we held God up front and we made God exalted and we sang of God and we prayed in our schools, and we taught the Bible, and we taught reverence unto God. Families held together, lives held together, things overall in our nation were good and strong and powerful. And even though we had some moments uh, that came along in history that shaped us and battles and things that we had to overcome, God was always the shining beacon of our success. But then there were those in the background and have always been who in dark places and dark regions and hidden undercover who were working against the Spirit of God. They have worked behind the scenes for years invoking demons and calling on powers of darkness. And once were the name of God and his commandments and his statutes reigned high and supreme in our nation. Now there are voices from the dark saying, bring it down, bring it down. And over the past 60 years, we have brought it down, brought it down, brought it down, brought it down until now the powers of darkness are telling the church, you go underground, you hide from, from society, you back up, you don't use your voice, you don't say anything, you are hateful, you are ugly, you are unworthy, and they want to show Shut up the voice of God. But I'm here to say that at Passion Church, we will never shut up the voice of God. We will be shouting it from the rooftops. As long as there's breath in our lungs, we're going to let the world know there is a God and he can reverse this curse. What are y'all getting so excited about? So we have two options, church. Remain silent and let the godless reshape our nation into a rebellious, formless, directionless void of human degradation. 
or allow God to shape us into vessels of honor and demonstrate the power of true holiness. Ladies and gentlemen, judgment doesn't start at the seat of the nation. Judgment starts in the house of God. A nation falls because the church begins to compromise. A nation goes backwards because the church won't say anything. A nation gets in trouble because the church is too timid. Ours is not a spirit. That word fear is timidity. Ours is not the spirit of timidity, but power. And a, the soundness of mind that comes from the word of God, being directed by God through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, I have all of the soundness of mind that I need to stand up and to call darkness what it is and to call it powerless and to bring the strongholds and the demons that back them down. It is time to allow God to finish what he has started in us. It is time to purge rebellion in the house of God because judgment starts here. It is time to run out demonic influence. It is time to reign in attitudes and become a people under the authority of God's will in his house and in his kingdom. It is time to reign in attitudes. It is time to clean up America. It is time to clean up the church. Because if the church doesn't get clean, America hasn't got a prayer. The demonic strongholds that have been invited into our nation by the will of a minority of rebellious perverts is rushing to power through our crooked, perverse, illegitimate government and is forcibly removing the rights and the freedoms that we were given by God through our founders. And the only hope is the church. But it cannot be turned around by yesterday's do-nothing, lethargic, don't-make-wave, seeker-friendly, limp-wristed, crybaby church. Is that plain? God is looking for a church like the first century church to stand up. The first century church had to wade through a sea of demonic hordes everywhere they went because these demons controlled every nation in one form or fashion underneath the name of an idol. And we have people in our nation now. You see them dancing in the streets and parading and we give them an entire month to flaunt in the face of God that we've taken your name down out of our nation and we flaunt your promise as though it is nothing. <laughs> but let's just have church next week. 
It's just stop this smelly stuff. Come on. What's wrong with a queer heaven revival? Oh, I know. I'm going to get in trouble. I don't care. I'll tell you what's wrong. You're serving a demon, not God. And you're trying to attach God's name to it. And you're no different than the children of Israel when Moses came down off of Mount Sinai and found they had attached God's name to an idol. You scream love, 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 but you hate everything about God and his people. I would say that the balance of love has been tipped into the direction of hatred by those who claim we're the hateful ones. I got to get off of this. <laughs> mm. Yes. I'm with you. Against all odds, they make the message of Jesus Christ not just words, but a mockery. But God is looking for a church to stand up and against all the odds, make the message of Christ not just words, but demonstration of power. We can't have revival like the past. Few people get healed in a healing line. Everybody gets under a pretty little tent, and I'm not putting that down. Or we all rush into a building to hear a, a polished speaker or someone who's got a few tricks up their sleeve. We need an unshakable, undeniable glory cloud of God to shake the household of faith, starting with the youngest to the oldest, that our children are casting out demons. Our children are calling down the power of God. Our, our adults and our teens are just literally turning their world upside down, demonstrating the power of God, demonstrating his healing power, demonstrating his goodness, demonstrating him for the world to see. The first century church went into the devil's territory and established a stronghold of their own that eventually brought all of the strongholds in the region that they went into down. And there is no difference between you and me. The only difference is we've got to shake off the lethargy and call out for God to do it again. Do it again. Do it again in this generation, God. Do it again in us. Do it again as you did with Matthew, Mark, Luke. Do it again with us. Do it again with us. Do it with your apostles. Raise up true prophets. Raise up those who don't want to just have a will of their own and build something that makes them lucrative, look, uh, lucratively uh, 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 set in this nation. Cause men and women of God to rise up and to say, God, whatever you need me to be, that's what I'll be. And I'll stay in that shape until I fulfilled my, my purpose and my 
destiny in you, and I'll keep preaching your message undeniably. I will not back up. I will not compromise. I will not back down until the whole world's knees are bowing unto Jesus Christ. God is looking for a people of real resolve. He's looking for true Christianity that even if they come to threaten to throw you in jail, your mouth won't be silenced. You'll keep preaching the truth. So, <laughs> the holiness that the world is looking for that comes from a life of purging on God's shaping wheel of character, the world needs to see the strength that comes from the kiln of God. The world needs to see the willingness in the church to be made over again if necessary in order to be a vessel God can use. In America, ladies and gentlemen, under the current regime is facing judgment. And if we, it's not in the candidate. It's not in a candidate because we're not going to solve this politically. It's in the heart of the people of God. We hold the power to bring this nation back to where it belongs. And those that are on the other side touting and shouting and laughing and mocking right now have the opportunity through us, if we'll get it right, to find him the way we know him. Because they will be drawn. The word says if we lift up Christ, all men are drawn to him. Can you say amen to that? I'm done. Austin, would you mind coming to the keyboard just real quickly? I know it's probably way over time. I sure wish I could have made something pretty out of that for you. <laughs> have you got a pretty picture up there of a finished vessel by chance? There we go. There you go. I like that. Psychedelic. It looks good. We could be something usable and tangible in God. But we have to succumb to the pressure of the hands of the potter. America's going to implode and God's going to have to crush it and start it all over. Sorry. But we got to be there to take shape and arise with the hands of the master. We got to take shape and be the example for the world around us. We can't just shout at them. Come on. This is what's been wrong. We tried to shout at them. Stand on the opposite side of the street. You're evil. Well, what good is that? We holler at them over this. We holler at them over that. But what they need is for me to walk by and see a malady in their life and reach out and boom. 
immediately everything changes. For me to walk by and the power of God is so staggering that they fall to the ground and they go, there's something real there. For me to be able to look at them and see what demon is tormenting them and cast that thing off so they can be free. They need a demonstration. That's what sets us apart from the first century church. They operated in the power of, of demonstration. People drugged to the streets just so Peter's shadow would fall on the sick. That wasn't some casual relationship they had with Christ that was more self-centered than Christ. What they need is Christ in them. What they need to see is the Christ in me. Because if they can see Christ in me, it'll give them hope. They can have him too. Because here's something you need to know about the other side, what we, what we would call the other side of this equation. They're parading in the streets. They're chanting and they're excited that they're winning political battles. But if you got them along, you'll find out they're losing the biggest battle of all because they despise themselves. They despise the things they do. But they found identity in it, acceptance in it. So the next time you see them, instead of gritting your teeth, call for your God. Say, God, rather it be by me by someone else, but God sends somebody to help them. They're broken. They're hurting. They're struggling. And they're being lied to. Do you know that, honest to God, if we was to go even through this room, there is such insecurity And brokenness sometimes, even within the walls of the house of God. Can I tell you why? You want to know why? You know, we can, some of us point back, you know, it was the way I was raised or nothing nice was ever said to me or I was touched inappropriately. There's a million things and those are all true. But here's the real thing that's going on in your head. How many have heard, I'm not good, I'm not worthy? Huh? We've all heard that, right? I'm no good, I'm not worthy, I'm junk, I'll never make it. How many have heard that stuff? Do you know where that comes from? See, we think it is, it, that every thought is our own thought. They are not. You see, when the angels 
changed allegiance and followed the father of lies, that third of the angel host that was swept away into chains of darkness are living their eternal experience now apart from God. Never. You see, they sinned in eternity. You and I have sinned in time. They will never be restored. And there is no hope of restoration for them. And because you have hope, because you're created in the image of the Father. Because you have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, they want to talk you out of it. So when you hear, I'm no good, I'm not worthy, that is not the plight of humanity at all. That is the voice of the demonic hordes. They have no hope. Oh, you do. You have hope. You don't have to go down a road of destruction. You don't have to be lost. You don't have to be confused. Who do you think's introducing all of the confusion into the world when the Bible says God is not the author of confusion? For centuries past, people could read this word and discern what was right and what was wrong. What changed? Nothing. Except we're listening to the voice of the deceiver. Today, I want to place myself between the potter's hands. I'm placing Passion Church between the potter's hands. I want my teenagers to have something real and tangible and exciting that they don't have to go out and taste the world to see if there's, if there's something sweeter. No! There's nothing sweeter than Jesus. There's nothing better than a life filled with God. There is nothing more exciting, more exhilarating, or more powerful than to walk in Christ and to carry His presence where you go. It's time we stop trying to do it ourselves. There's a little improvement to our clay. It's time we stop trying to do it ourselves. It is time to let God do it all. God, I not only want you to put your hands around my life and reshape me, but I want you to order my steps. I want to live a life of ongoing repentance. I want to live so that I can be trusted in our relationship 
to take your goodness, your power, and your demonstration to the hurting, to the lost, to the broken, to those who need you the most. I don't again, for another day in my life, want to look upon the world and despise. I want to see through your eyes, Father, what that vessel can be. And ask you, Father, to give me the power to free them from the demonic strongholds that keep them from you. I want to live my life in the awe of God. I want to live my life in reverential fear. I want to live my life so that I don't blow it and make your name a mockery. I don't want to live my life so that I bring some kind of a blight upon your name and that the name of the church once again gets maligned and mocked by the world. I want to build in you a discipleship, Father. My heart is that we all become disciples. We're not laity. I don't mean that in any derogatory way. But laity suggests that we lay around waiting for God to do something. I call it laziness. It's your laziness. No, waiting on the Lord means I drape a towel over my arm and I become a servant of the Most High to humanity around me. Passion Church, this is our destiny. This year is a year of prayer and intercession so that we can step into the courts of servanthood. And what would happen to a transgender? What would happen to a drag queen if I knelt down and washed their feet placing them where God would place them in a place of mercy tenderness understanding and reversal What if I quit going with war on my mind and went with war in my spirit? What difference could we make? I gotta quit, I know. Are you getting my meaning, Passion Church? Are you getting my meaning? Are you catching my heart? Making a war only makes people angry on the other side. It doesn't change a thing. But making war in the heavenlies changes everything. Father, we thank you for your word today. And helping this pastor clumsily get through, Father, the true desire of your heart. I thank you, Lord, that you gave me really no warning as to what this message was really about until the last minute, God. I would have messed it up with my own thoughts and theologies. 
Father, let the message not be wasted today. Let us hear it, God. We're in this community not to take it by force. We're in this community to take it by his force. That we love those around us and we do our best to help them see the light. Then the decision is theirs. But our heart will be pure before you, God. We're tired of trying to do it ourselves. We're tired of trying to create something. We're tired of trying to be a vessel that we've created. It's okay, Father, if you have to start over again. I'm okay with it. Go ahead. Crush me in. And start again. If that's your heart, it's okay, God. Crush me and start again. I know. I know we've been way too long, but if that's your heart, if that's truly your heart, would you come and kneel before the Father as I'm going to do and give him permission in an act of humility? Crush me, Father and start anew. If you can't kneel on the floor, lean on the chair ahead of you. I know some of those rows are far apart. Lean on the back of your chair if you have to. But if this is your heart, start with me, God. Start all over again. So be it, God. I want to look like you, walk like you, talk like you, be like you. And after you've prayed, after you've sought God, then you can be dismissed. I just ask that you hold your talking until everyone in here is through. Father, we magnify you and we glorify you. And we give you all honor in Jesus' mighty name.